So let's move our lunch reservations back and let's settle in and get into the word of God. Amen. All right. If you're scared, don't worry about it. We're going to move. Um, I'm starting a two-part thought this morning on the unshakable nature of God. And I am just so glad that my God is immovable, unchangeable, and unshakable. And I have faith on today of what God can do with a life that is built upon him and him alone. So we're going to be in Matthew 7, verse 24. Go ahead and stand with me for the reading of the word of God. These are Jesus's words to us. Matthew 7, verse 24 through 27. This is the word of the Lord. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Let's pray. Father God, we invite you into this moment. Lord, you are here already. So Lord, I guess better said is Lord, open our ears, our eyes, and our hearts to see, to hear, and to understand what you are saying to us today. Holy Spirit, we need a revelation from you. We need a touch from you. So God, I yield this time to you that you would have your way in this place on this day. Jesus, do what only you can do in, through, and among us, I pray in your holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever felt the ground beneath your feet shake? Remember the uh, earthquake of 2011 when a 5.8 magnitude earthquake rocked the East Coast? I don't know where you were on that day. In 2011, I was working for Booz Allen Hamilton. I was in my consulting job, and I was in the J. Edgar Hoover building, which is the FBI headquarters building in downtown Washington, D.C. And when you grow up on the East Coast and you are sitting in the FBI headquarters building in Washington, D.C., in a post-9-11 world, and the floor, the walls, the chairs, the cubicles all begin to shake, your first thought is not earthquake. Not even a little bit. And you can imagine how quick we all headed for the stairs to get down to street level, not sure at all what was going on, what was happening, or what we would see when we got out there. It took a while to figure out it was just an earthquake, and you know the anxiety level whew, came down. You ever had a moment where you felt the ground beneath your feet shake? It shifts it moves. I'm not talking just natural disasters. I'm talking life circumstances that can knock you off balance. A sudden diagnosis that can take the air out of your lungs. How many of you know one phone call can change your whole life if it's the wrong phone call? There are moments in our life that knock us off balance. Moments in our life that we come across when it seems like the very life we built, the very sure foundation that we had built our life upon, all the plans that we had made, all the strategies, all the ideologies, everything that we had kind of neatly ordered, formed, and fashioned, all of a sudden doesn't feel so stable anymore. How many of you know you can get some news that makes you question everything you thought you knew? And you find your feet 
on shaky, shifting ground. And what's hard for me in these moments, as I've been there, as we all have, is I know that my God is immovable. I know that my God is a rock. I know that my God is faithful to a thousand generations. I know that my God is unchanging and unchangeable. And it makes me wonder that if my God is so immovable, then why am I so easily swayed? I want to talk to you today about what you do when the floor falls out beneath your feet. I want to talk to you today about what you do when the solid ground you were standing on isn't so solid anymore. I want to talk to you today about what you do and how you respond when the wind and the waves of life come against you and you find yourself in a moment trying to get your bearings and find your footing once again. I felt in the spirit, but I also just know personally, talking with many of you, we are entering a new season of life. This season for so many of us, we're coming out of one thing, we're coming into another. It could be good things like babies, marriages, new jobs, moving, could, could be that, but life transitions are hard. It could be the loss of a loved one that was too soon for you and you're grieving. It could be the loss of a job. It could be, could be finances that always were good and now are not so good at all. Whatever it is, I just know by the Spirit of God that we are all coming into a new season and new seasons often bring insecurity in the ground beneath our feet. And it causes us to try to find our footing afresh. Globally, you see this, Israel, Palestine, Russia, Ukraine, we're coming into an election season. There's a lot to be worried about is what I'm saying. There's a lot to be concerned about. There's a lot happening in life that can make us feel that insecurity and that anxiety. So I wanna talk to you today about how to find your footing. That's the title of my message, Finding My Footing. Now, Jesus says these words at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He's preaching. This is the longest recorded sermon of Jesus that we have in all of the scriptures. It's his most robust teaching there in Matthew 5 through chapter 7. And um, it's, it's, an incredible, it's an incredible paradigm-shifting, groundbreaking message. See, we've grown up with it in some regards, so we're kind of used to it. So we don't understand what it was like to hear this message for the first time, like the people who were sitting around the Sea of Galilee as they gathered around Jesus, this teacher. When they heard it, it changed everything for them. People like to highlight how Jesus flipped tables. Jesus flipped the entire world upside down with his teaching. He has these people and he says, blessed are you if you are poor in spirit. Blessed are you if you mourn. Blessed are you if you are meek. Blessed are you, he says, if you are persecuted for the gospel. In fact, blessed are you if people revile you. Blessed are you if people make false accusations about you and people lie about you behind your back. If that's you, you are happy and you are blessed. What? And then he takes these hot topics, these, these big issues of the day about how to interpret the law, uh, what God thinks about anger and about lust and about divorce and about retaliation. And he says, you've heard it said one way, but I say to you a new thing. He says, you've heard it said you shall not murder, but I say to you, if you carry anger in your heart, you are liable to judgment. You've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. I say, if you look at a woman with lustful intent, you already have committed adultery with her in your heart. When you've grown up your whole life on one belief system, 
and Jesus comes through and teaches you a whole new way of living, how many of you know that can be incredibly disorienting and disruptive? It can turn your whole world upside down. And Jesus knew this would not be the last time, nor was it even the first time, that people would come to him with their whole lives upside down with everything beneath their feet, all of a sudden shifting and moving and shaking. And so Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount and he presents them with these three challenges. He says, you can enter by the narrow gate. It's a hard road. Not a lot of people take it, but it leads to life. Or you could go down the wide road, find a lot of people on that road, but you will, it will lead you to death. He says, you can listen to false teachers, false prophets, absolutely. They look as innocent as sheep. They're telling you what you want to hear and what sounds good to you, but they're actually wolves waiting to devour your life. You can trust in false prophets, or you can look at the fruit of the life of the man standing before you, not me, Jesus, although I hope you can look at the fruit of my life, but Jesus is speaking. Look at my life and tell me if my actions don't match up with my words. He says, you will know a tree by the fruit it produces. What will you do? Listen to what sounds good or listen to that which has integrity within it. Then he concludes with the words that we read. You can listen to my words and do what they say, and you will be like a wise man who has built his house upon a rock. And when the winds come and the floodwaters rise because the rain is beating down, your house will not move. Or you can hear what I say, Ignore what I'm saying, and you will be like a foolish man who has built his house upon the sand. The challenge that Jesus is issuing his listeners on the Sermon of the Mount is the same challenge he's issuing to us today. How will we respond to the words of Jesus? Who do we say that he is? Because he is trying to prepare us to make us storm-proof So that when it does come, we don't find ourselves washed away into a sea of anxiety and a sea of depression and a sea of fear. He's trying to help us build our life in a way that when it comes, it does not move us. See, Jesus knows the storm is coming. And I think we forget that sometimes. Jesus knew what you are going through, like he knew about that long before you were born. Jesus knows your deepest, darkest secret. You don't even have to tell him. He, he already knows. He knows the hidden pain you're dealing with. He knows the stress you're under. He knows the pressure you face. He knows all of your regrets. He knows all of the challenges in your marriage and all of the challenges with your children and all of the challenges with your addictions already. He already knows where you are and what you're doing. He is called in scripture Elroy. That means the God who sees. Hannah gave him that name as Hannah would show up in the temple day after day, weeping and wailing and crying out for God to hear her because her womb was barren. And day after day, she pleaded to the Lord and bore her soul. She was praying so hard, they thought she was drunk in the temple. And when God heard her cry and gave her a baby, she goes, surely my God is Elroy, a God who sees me. Bible describes God as one who sees the end from the beginning, which means whatever you're in, he already knows how it's going to end before it even started. Jesus knows where you're at. He's seen it all. And he knows that the storm is coming. 
Uh, it's one of the things that is promised to us in Scripture. John 16, In this world, you will have trouble. That's a promise. It's not a prophecy. It's a promise. You're going to have trouble. The weather forecast is the same for everybody. Heavy winds, heavy rains, and floodwaters. That's a fact. And I don't say those words to scare you. I say those words to help you manage your expectations. Because it'll change the way you go through life if you know what to expect out of life. A couple weeks ago, we had the privilege to go to Cape Town, South Africa for the Every Nation Global Conference. If you don't know, we're a part of a global family of churches. It's a movement around the the world uh, who is seeking to plant uh, churches in every nation within our generation. And every three years or so, we invite all of our global family together for our conference. We do them around the world. This year, it was in Cape Town, South Africa. It was a beautiful place. It was a great time. You had 71 nations represented, 5,000 people in the room from all over the world. We maxed out the room. It was an incredible moment. You get to see the beautiful diversity of heaven gathered together, singing and worshiping in different languages, hearing teaching that doesn't sound like this teaching, but it's as good, if not even better, than what you hear every week. You get this amazing global experience all in a room, and it, was, and it was so wonderful. And one of the highlights for most of us, but especially for me, was we got to hear from a pastor and his wife who lead a small ch- underground church in China. And they were interviewing him on the stage and asking him about persevering through persecution and believing from the miraculous when you're in a society that is oppressing you and stopping you from doing what you are called to do. And he was sharing the thoughts that, you know, it's not illegal to be a Christian in China. It's illegal to evangelize and share your faith in China. So in his words, it's illegal to be a real Christian. That hit me right here. They were asking his wife and him about what it was like to raise children in this environment. As a pastor, he's got to sit his, his children down when they were five, his two sons, and go, listen, we believe in Jesus, and we love God, and your dad is a pastor. And so what that means is I might just not come home one day, and it's okay. That's a good thing because we, it means we are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they're asking him, pastor, how do you persevere In this type of environment, this type of oppression, this type of persecution, this type of uncertainty. And when I tell you, this man, full of faith and with his full chest, said to all 5,000 of us, God did not promise me a good life. He promised me an eternal life. How many know that hit so different in a moment? We are looking for God to bless us by giving us sunny skies and good weather and lots of money. And it might be wise for us to change our expectations that the blessing of God might not look like comfort and ease. It might be wise of us to remember or to understand that the love of God is not shown to us by keeping us out of pain. Oftentimes, God's greatest love is being there with us in the pain as he walks us through the most difficult moments in our life. It takes a moment for us to reorient our perspective and really refigure out what we understand out of this life. The question is not, why are bad things happening to me? The question is, why are you so surprised when they do? Why do you react the way you do when things happen in your life, when the job starts laying people off, 
when that personal property tax bill comes every year. And it keeps getting bigger for some reason. It's supposed to get small. And all of a sudden, it's another thing. Why do we react the way that we do when there's conflict in our marriage or an issue with our children? Why do we move so quickly into blaming God for not doing a good job? God, you want some feedback? I got some pointers you could take. This is not really what I wanted. We move right into doubt, do we not? I don't know if God's ever loved me. I don't know if God was ever real in the first place. Is he even there? God doesn't, is God well, how quickly, how finicky and fickle we are when trial comes. And do you know what it means? It means that when we come up against the storms of life, what it does is it shakes us to our foundations. And we find out real quick what type of foundation we were building on. See, some of us have been building with sand and we didn't even know about it until a storm came into our life and we got knocked so hard off balance, it exposed the weakness in the house. We've been building on sand and we didn't even know about it. But you find out real fast when a storm comes what kind of life you've been building and the way that you respond and the way that you react to what happens to you. Most of us don't build with sand on purpose. We don't know that that's what we're doing. Um, honestly, sometimes sand seems like a good idea, does it not? If you're asking my wife about a vacation we're planning and it doesn't include sand, she's not going just not doing it. Why would we do that? If we're spending money to travel, there will be a beach and sun and sand and you will leave me alone, right? Like that is what, that is what we're doing. <laughs> sand is relaxation. Sand is sun. Sand is fresh supply of fish and great views and, and serenity and peace. And quite frankly, as long as the weather's good, the sand seems nice. But once the wind starts to blow and the rain starts to fall, the sand ain't so good anymore. Doesn't sound really like you, what you wanted it to be anymore. And all of a sudden now you're complaining about the sand that looked good in the first place. Sometimes sand seems like a good idea. And here's the thing. The sand around the Sea of Galilee where Jesus was teaching. In the summertime, when it was hot out, the sun would bake that sand. And it would become hard and crusty on the top. And you could walk on it. It wouldn't even put a footprint in it. It wouldn't move under your feet. It felt as hard as rocks. There are some things in your life that seem good on the surface. There are some relationships in your life that look good on the surface. There are some ideologies and beliefs that the culture will teach you are right and good and inclusive and, and loving that only look good on the surface. The sand around the Sea of Galilee was fine as far as you only went half an inch deep. But a wise builder knows that if you're going to build a strong house, you're going to have to get a firm foundation. And if you're going to get a firm foundation, you can't be digging shallow. You've got to go down deep. So if it's only good on the surface, it's not good enough to sustain the weight of your life. So you've got to go deep down underneath what's on the surface to find something that will sustain you. And I am sick and tired of this world trying to sell us a lie. That the shallow experiences out there are good and pleasurable and enjoyable. I am tired of shallow people selling me a shallow dream that is half an inch deep. I'm not trying to build my life on get rich quick, feel good now type of schemes. I'm trying to build my life on something that will stand the test of time. A foundation that will last for many generations. I don't want to build on a lie. I want to build on the truth. 
I want to build to last. And I'm tired of what this world is selling us. And I'm tired of we, the church, believing it and compromising our beliefs because it sounds good on the surface. It feels good on the surface. But if we were to challenge those beliefs, apply a little bit of logic, test it against the word, play it out until the end, you would find that they're only about half an inch deep. And they cannot sustain the weight of your life. But sometimes sand seems like a good idea. The only way to know whether it is or isn't is to put it to the test. So I've got some sand. Nick is going to help me. Can we give a big hand for Nick? Nick's got my sand. Thank you, sir. And uh, we're going to have some fun today. He's going to put this down because I promised Andrew I wouldn't mess up his stage. And that was mostly true. Mostly true. Um, Nick, you are the best. Nick runs the monitors in the back, which means that the reason our worship team sounds so good is because Nick helps them hear themselves well. And uh, he's a great man of God. And we love, and we love Nick. He's phenomenal. Okay. Uh, we're going to have a rudimentary science class. Forgive me for, you know, uh, that. Oh, thank you. Uh, this is sand. We all know what sand is. Uh, we got a nice tight, oh yeah, beautiful. Uh, sand is many different pieces and individual parts all put together that kind of look like they make a solid. If I, oh, this is, this is legit heavy. Um, as if I didn't do this in first service and already know that, but it still is surprisingly heavy. Uh, it looks solid, right? It looks, looks pretty firm, um, looks pretty good, but what it actually is is a bunch of different individual pieces and parts, which means that if you were to have to hold on to sand and grip it, it wouldn't give you much to hold on to. Try not to pull yourself up by sand because it's not going to give you a whole lot a whole lot there. Sand, sand doesn't really do well with the wind. <sighs> Gonna need a broom after serving. Um, um, sand doesn't really do well with pressure, just with a finger. Look, I can just go right all the way down. Sand is, um, sand looks solid and it looks good, but it's, um, it shifts and it moves. You know, they say in the desert, you can't use sand dunes as landmarks in the desert because when the weather changes, they change. And so something that looks monolithic and massive when you see them and they're beautiful in the desert, they actually shift and, shape, uh, shift and shake all the time. And so it doesn't really give you much, much to work with. And so when we're talking about building our life on the sand, what is Jesus really saying? And I understand it to be like this. All of us as we go through life, we have teaching that we receive as children, schooling, we have experiences, pain, trauma. You grow up with a certain amount of money, a lot, a little, somewhere in between. You grow up of a certain race and skin color. You grow up in a certain neighborhood, a, a certain state perhaps, and your life experience shapes the way that you interact with the world. We call this our worldview. It's our beliefs, it's our ideologies, and it's our experiences that we gather together through the natural course of our life, and they shape the way that we interpret and interact with 
the world. So, for instance, um, Mama always told me to turn the lights off when I left a room to save on electricity. And she said, say please and thank you. And so that's a part of my, my mix. My dad, growing up, told me that men don't cry. And we certainly don't talk about our emotions. I never had an emotional conversation with my dad ever. So that's a part of my mix. You know, we grew up, we grew up poor. So I've got a little bit of this scarcity mindset. I got a weird relationship with money. There's no amount that I can make that I'll ever be satisfied. Um, and what I do have, I'm always worried I'm going to lose. And, and I put that on other people in my life. And they suffer under my insecurity. And um, maybe I have a fear of rejection because I never really felt like I fit in. So now I'm a people pleaser. And I know how to make everybody else happy, but I don't know how to be happy myself. And um, maybe there's some conservative politics in there. Maybe there's some liberal politics in there. Let's just be fair. Maybe there's some worldly ideologies that got into my life along the way because, you know, I want to be inclusive. I just want people to do what makes them happy. So, yeah, I mean, you can live your truth. It's fine. Yeah, I, I mostly agree with that. I haven't really thought it through, but, you know, love is love. Sounds right, I guess. I mean, love is what it is. So I add that to my mix a little bit. Um, Maybe you grew up like me, and um, you've got a healthy dose of entitlement and privilege. And uh, yeah, I had to work hard in my life for sure. I never, no one's going to outwork me. But you just work hard, and you go through the doors that are open to you. But it's not until you're older you realize that the doors that are open to you just aren't open to everybody. So it's not about work ethic; it's about opportunity. And you form this worldview, this way that I interact and respond to, interpret the world. It's how I see things and, and perceive things. And it's just a conglomeration of, of, of everything. And I just add stuff over the years. And at some point as you become an adult, at some point in adulthood, you realize that you've been building your life over these key core and central beliefs. And it's become just like the foundation stone of your life. And for most of us, our worldview is not something we think about. It's not something we look at. It's not something we've even like really weighed too much. It just kind of forms naturally. Some of you didn't even know you had a worldview until I just told you that you did. So you haven't thought about it. You just add beliefs to your life. You just let the world interpret itself and you just kind of go along mer merrily along the way. And you have at the center of your soul a belief system that is just a conglomeration of many individual pieces and parts. And you've never tested them for coherence or congruence. Coherence, do they make sense together? Can two things be true at the same time or are these two beliefs in conflict with each other? In congruence, do they work well together? Like, can you build one on top of the other? Or do they, again, live in conflict with each other? And most of us just add things to our mix that we hear along the way that sound pretty good. And we don't think twice about it. But what we build on that is financial strategies 
uh, how we interact in relationships, the type of spouse we look for, our parenting techniques, our relationship with money, career opportunities, education. All these belief systems on how we interact with the world are built on top of our worldview. It's how we respond to the crises of life. And Jesus is absolutely, fundamentally crystal clear that the weather forecast doesn't change for anybody. In this life, you will have trouble. And when you have trouble in this life, or when you encounter things that don't make sense to you, what is the phrase? Somebody, make it make sense. How is this happening? How could this happen again? All these nations at war again, all of this in the political sphere again, all of this in the economy again, somebody help me make it make sense because I don't know. And so what we do is we go back to our core beliefs to try to figure out whether this will interpret the world for us or not. And when life rocks us, we go looking for a place to stand and we stand on it. And we find that the worldly ideologies and beliefs are not strong enough to carry your weight. Because you have been building on the philosophy of man and not the word of God. And it is hard to find your footing when you're walking in the sand. I wonder what sand you've allowed into your foundation. I wonder what belief systems you've added to your mixture today. I wonder what little things, you didn't think about it. It's not said in condemnation or conviction. This is just said to assess your life. And think about what are the beliefs that I'm holding? What are the experiencing I'm allowing to color and shape my world moving forward? What kind of sand am I standing on? Because when I stand on the sand, how many of you know it doesn't provide very good footing? Sand is temperamental. It shifts and it shakes. It's made up of many different individual pieces and parts. And it doesn't provide a very good foundation for your life. But you know what does? A rock. Somebody come and try to blow this off the stage. This rock is unbothered by the wind. It is unbothered by the rain. If I poured a bucket of water on that, it would be a mess, and I would probably have to find myself or fire myself. But the rock is unmoved by water. Flood waters could rise, and how many of you know this rock is going nowhere? It's not moving one inch. And Jesus says, if you hear my words and listen to my words and do what my words say, you will be like a man who built his house on the rock. Not on a bunch of individual disparate beliefs. One foundation stone that is immovable, simple, strong, yet secure. There is one confession that you can make that will set the trajectory of the rest of your foundation. Remember Matthew 16. Jesus comes to Peter. And he says, Peter, who do you say that I am? Let's take a look. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
on this rock. I will build my church. Do not think the church is a building or it's a gathering. The church is the people who gather together. So your life, your house, your home, when he says, I will build my church, he's talking about you. And he says, there's a confession that you can make. Certainly Peter, his name Petra, it means rock. So in some sense, of course, he's talking about Peter and Peter's ministry and his life. But how many of you know Peter passed away, as all men do? So there has to be something greater in this interaction that Jesus is highlighting than just the person of Peter. And I believe it is the confession that Peter makes. He says, you are the Christ. That word Christ means Messiah. And that word Messiah means Savior. You are the Savior of the world. You are the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, that is a foundation I can build on. He says, with that confession, with that faith, with that belief, I can build my church on it in such a way, forget about the winds and the waves, the gates of hell won't even come against that. So what I'm trying to say is there is a confession, a simple one. It's not the biggest one in the world. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Listen, it's not the size of the confession, it's the strength of it. What Peter is saying is, I believe in you, Jesus, that you are who the Old Testament and the prophets prophesied would come. You are the Messiah, the chosen one, the Holy One of Israel, the Lion of Judah, and the Lamb of God. You are God incarnate here on the earth, which means if I believe you are the Son of the living God, that means I believe every word out of your mouth is from God, which means I can build my life on the words that come out of your mouth, Jesus. That is what he's saying. And that is the confession of faith that starts a foundation upon which your whole life can rest. Do you mind if I take this one step further? All right, let's keep going. Because if I'm honest, it's hard to build a house out of stones that look like that. They just don't fit, fit together neatly. Do you understand? And I talked to some construction guys after first service. I just said, please don't, please don't Fact check, like just <laughs> illustration, parables, teachings, okay? Stick with me, right? These stones, because of the way they're cut and shaped, they don't fit together super neatly or nicely. So it's, so it's hard to build um, a whole house, a whole life off of stones that look like this. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. That simple confession of faith is all you need to get started. And that's the question Jesus is asking every one of us today. Who do you say that I am? He just needs to know when we start, what are we talking about? Who do you think I am? Who am I to you? Before we can go into any other thing about pray for me or help me or counsel my marriage, we need to go back to this stone. But who do you think Jesus is? Who do you think he is? Is he the son of God and the savior of the world? Or is he just some nice philosopher who maybe can help you not feel pain anymore? Who do you say he is? But that's not where it stops. That's just where it starts. That's what we say at the end of every service. This journey of faith, this is not the end of it. This is the beginning of it. We want to walk with you on it. Through what? The process of discipleship. The process of refining your beliefs to make the belief system and the values that you draw out of the word of God coherent and congruent together. Yes, you need to profess Jesus is my savior. He is the son of the living God. But how many of you know it's a little bit more complicated than that? In a good way. 
There's a lot more robust teaching in the word than just that. So what we ask you to do is take your rough-hewn stones and we'll come alongside you and we'll help form them into something that's stackable. We'll help you make some bricks out of them. And so, yes, Jesus is the savior of your soul. Do you know how you receive that gift? It is the grace of God given to you by faith, not based on your own works, but it's a gift that God gives you so that no man would boast in themselves, but all men would boast in Jesus. So if you would believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord of your life and that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. And we enter into that through the act of repentance. At some point, we've got to come face to face with our sin and acknowledge that a holy and good God who created us for good purposes, to be in relationship and in community with him for all of eternity. We have betrayed him and sinned against his word and abandoned him, and we are quick to do it. And at some point, the conviction from the Holy Spirit has to settle in our hearts where we go, Lord, I am sorry. And I repent from that. And I turn from the way that I was living so that I could follow you. And then we're going to have a conversation about lordship. Because Jesus didn't just die to be your savior. He came to be your Lord. He is not your get out of hell free card, as I teach in Discover Discipleship. He is your Lord. And Lord, you want to get uncomfortable? Lord means master. So now with this profession of faith and the reception of the gift and this repentance, you make a declaration out of your mouth that Jesus, you are the Lord of my life and my actions will bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And I will now live a life that follows your word and obeys your law because I love you and you have clearly shown how much you love me. You are Lord. And then if we can get those three things down, we're gonna take you to the waters of baptism. And we're going to talk about how it's not the waters that save you, but it's public profession of your faith because your faith doesn't happen in a vacuum. You don't come to Jesus and just live all by yourself and never interact with the church. God gave us the church. Jesus built the church for a reason. And so baptism is a public declaration where we stand before God and man and say the old me is gone. And the new me is here. And I publicly profess my faith in Jesus before all of you. And I join in Jesus in his death. And I join in Jesus in his resurrection to a new life. The old me is gone and the new me is here. So now I know that I'm no longer what I once was, but I'm a new thing. And then, I'm going to get you reading your word. Maybe get you baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because we believe you cannot live the Christian walk without the indwelling empowerment of the Holy Spirit. She can't do it. Holy Spirit is the way by which God rewires you and transforms you from the inside out. It is the holy presence of God that dwells with you and helps you every day of your life. And if you think you can get through this life without the help of the Holy Spirit every day, you need the power of God with you. And now you begin to see that these beliefs coherent, congruent, solid, strong, and secure. And I could keep going and we could build a whole house. But I think the point is made, is it not? That we need building blocks for our faith, building blocks for our life that stack one on top of each other. Some of y'all 40 years old and you're still playing in the sand. You've been coming to church for 20 years and you're still over here going, I wonder why my life is a mess. 
Joe Rogan said. Carson Tucker, whoever, he said. I watched on the news and they said, and the markets. Why can't I get my life past this point? It's because there's a confession that you're not living on. It's here, but it's not here. It's got to come out of your head and into your heart so that you can build a life upon the word of God that will stand the test of time. You've got to hear me. In every season of my life, when the world has rocked me and shattered me and broken my spirit, there's been a confession that I've come back to. But Jesus, I trust you. You are the savior of the world. You are the son of God. I can't see it. I don't know how it's going to go. But I trust you. I confess my trust in you. Help me with my unbelief, God. Help me, Lord. I build my life on the word that I know, God, you're not going to leave me, nor are you going to forsake me. You draw near to the brokenhearted. That's what you do, Lord. And I've seen it time and time again through the testimonies and the memorial stones of the lives of those around me. I know, God, that you're faithful and you're good. And so I stand on the stones of the word of God. And what I find is that I'm not holding on to God. God has been holding on to me. And he's sustaining me and he's supporting me. And day by day, he's lifting me up and keeping my feet on solid ground. So if you ask me, I've built my life, as the hymnist says, on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. What do we do on a day like this? We confront the teaching of Jesus freshly. And we ask ourselves the question, Will we hear and do what he says? Will we enter by the narrow gate? Will we take the hard way? Or will we go by what's wide and broad and easy? Will we listen to false prophets and teachers who tell us what we want to hear, but who are secretly wolves in disguise? Or will we look at the fruit of the life of Jesus and determine for ourselves: do I think he is trustworthy enough for me to build my life on? Who do you say that I am? And what will you do in response? What will you build your life on? It's my last thought. It can be convicting to realize that you've been building here for a long time. And even as the Bible says, the wind and the waves will come and the winds will beat against that house and it will fall and great was the fall of it. Do you realize even in the falling, there's a great grace of God on your life? Do you realize that sometimes it is the Lord, gentle, sovereign, and divine hand that allows you to slip up and fall, that allows your foundations to be rocked because Jesus is not satisfied with you living here. He wants to build with you. And so sometimes, like Peter sink beneath the waves. He had to fall to realize that it was not his faith or his ability to be sustained, but it was Jesus and Jesus alone who was holding him up. Psalm 63 verse six says this, 
He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. Let's pray. Lord God, we honor and adore you in this place. And we thank you, Jesus. You have the words of life and the power of God to back it up. And you have proven time and time again that you are trustworthy, reliable, and true. And Father, I thank you that your words have stood the test of time. Jesus, I thank you that you have stood the test of time. Lord, for those of us here today that have added so much sand to our mixture, we can't even think straight. Lord, would you forgive us? Holy Spirit, would you bring the water that washes away within us everything that is not of you? Cleanse us, God, from beliefs and ideologies, from idols, pain, trauma, that have colored the way that we view you and we interact with this world. Jesus, we repent and ask you to make us new. And Father, for those here today who have not built their life upon you, would you, Holy Spirit, move in power and in might now, God, to give them a revelation of who you are.